Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1 to 2. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we enter this moment of silence and reflection, in a season that is marked by ramped up activities, parties, festivities, that is accelerated at the rate of consumption and advertisements and enticements, there's an excitement in the air, but there's also a longing. Help us to get in touch with that longing, to be honest about it. As we enter this very moment and consider these ancient scriptures from the prophet Isaiah, help us to see that as he was proclaiming a message of hope, even now, there's a hope to be had right here with you, with each other. We come to these scriptures and to this moment from a variety of perspectives and experiences, Some of us already marked by hope, anticipation, eagerness, joy. Others of us just tired or anxious, afraid, disconnected, addicted, or just angry. We come to this moment believing and unbelieving, most of us somewhere in between. But help us to see, however we find ourselves this morning, that you see us and you know us in all our complexity and all our contradictions. You know us and your response is to not run away from us or to say yuck when you look at the mess of our lives in this world. Rather, your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love. 
in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so help us to see that this morning. Maybe the hardest thing, maybe the first miracle of Christmas would be that we'd actually trust and believe that you love us this much. Only you can do that. And so we invite you now by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed. To open not only our minds and our hearts, but our very lives to your good news. That the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, friends, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. When I was at a church that was further along than the church planting stages that we're in, we had a large staff, and we'd always joke that the Sunday after Thanksgiving was National Associate Pastor Preaching Sunday. So the person on the staff who never got any time preaching, that would be the magical day when they would be asked to preach, which really just meant the head preacher gets to take a real vacation and not plan a sermon while they're sitting on the beach wherever they are. Well, I'm the associate pastor. I'm the head pastor. I'm the I know where the Clorox is for the toilet. You know, that's part of the beauty of church planting. So you're stuck with me today. I do hope you had a good Thanksgiving. We took a little diversion from our normal Thanksgiving. Usually Thanksgiving is held in our home, and that's the place where everybody comes and the neighbors come, and we have drinks and, you know, football and all that good stuff. This time, Florence planned a trip for us to Puerto Penasco, Mexico, which is a seven-hour drive from here. You basically go to Yuma, Arizona, and then go south. It's on the Sea of Cortez on the eastern side Fishing village with resorts, dune buggies, and a lot of shrimp. I mean, we had a shrimp-filled Thanksgiving week. That was great. On Thanksgiving Day, I've learned on vacations to just let Florence plan it. It took me 10 years of marriage to get this, so I've had six years of good vacations. And just let her plan it. She knows what she's doing. So on Thanksgiving Day, we woke up, had a phenomenal breakfast, and then out we went to explore an extinct volcano strolling around on these ancient flows of lava that span the desert. But then we had to leave to get there in time for the dune buggies that we were going to ride over these iconic dunes up against the beach. And then we had to finish that so we could be home in time to get in the hot tub for sunset. I mean, this is just Thanksgiving. I've learned to go with the flow when she plans Thanksgiving. And that's a pun because her name's Florence. Get it? Got it. Okay, good. If you have to explain the joke, it's not a funny joke. That's what my kids say. And they were right. And then it was Thanksgiving dinner. So all I'm, all I'm saying, great day. I also had this experience going through the next day. You look at everybody's Instagram feeds, and it looks like everyone just had the best day of their life, right? It's like the best food, the best time, and it was awesome to awesome, and victory to victory, and wow, you know. And then my friend Jared posted this post on Instagram, my friend Jared up in San Francisco, and I just really appreciate this because he had those great photos. And then he said, while the table is full, get this, while the table is full, there's grief because of those that are not seated with us. Togetherness appears in the pictures, but loneliness is just outside of the frame. We'd need a fourth lens on our iPhone to capture the tensions that are in most Thanksgiving family photos. The holidays tempt us to keep our eyes at the surface, gift lists, favorite side dishes, catching up on our favorite memes with family members. But there is so much beauty, difference, and variety lost when we hide or pass by the truth like we do those awful green beans at the table. Thanksgiving, joy, connection, sorrow, loss. The holidays compound that for us. 
And the wisdom of the church for centuries has said, welcome to Advent. Advent is a season of longing, of waiting, of holding the tension that in Christ the light of God has come into this world and birthed a new creation, and yet there are still marks of the old decaying creation overlapping, and so there's gains and losses. There's joy and there's sorrow. Waiting and longing, but it's all grounded in reality. Today we're focusing on Advent hope. The first candle of Advent represents hope. And you need hope to thrive. Human beings need to be able to believe that tomorrow can be better than today. Next week can be better than last week. You need hope in your life or you will die. Your heart will shrivel up. Your motivations will begin to erode. It's like that John Mellencamp song, Jack and Diane. Oh yeah, life goes on long after the living is done. Externally you're alive, but internally you're withering away. Hope is a necessary ingredient for human flourishing. The question is, where do you find hope? I was talking with Jordan and Brian earlier this week. I turned on the radio, onto NPR, and just heard the, the, the updates, you know, the global updates. And here's what the feed said, paraphrase. In other news, world leaders could not come to an agreement on climate change, and so we continue to hurdle toward a, de a definite devastation because of climate change. The civil war in Ethiopia continues, and in Afghanistan, the situation's continuing to get worse. Closer to home, America remains polarized politically, as racial tensions increase and violence increases as well. And super locally, our homeless numbers are as high as ever as the days get shorter and the nights get colder. Do you have a framework or a foundation that can face that reality and not lose hope? Advent can says consider. It deepens you. It pushes you in the midst of this reality and pain of this world. Why hope at all? It also gives a diagnostic on our life and says, what do you do currently with the pain and difficulty in your life? How do you minimize it? You just sweep it under the rug, but that bubble under the rug is getting so big you could build a house on it. You medicate it with whatever your favorite pet way of just escaping reality might be. Or you let it turn you more bitter and cynical. That's just the way the world is. That's just the way the world's going to be. That's just the way people are. And so you build up this armor around you, but inside you're alone. You're isolated. Or do you become paralyzed by it? You know, fight, flight, or freeze is the third one. Do you just let it run you over because there's nothing you can do? Isaiah, the prophet, and the scripture we just heard gives us a new way forward altogether. A way to face the difficulties of this world with a substantial hope. And he invites us to consider three images, a stump, a shoot, and a root. Okay, first, he mentions the reality of the stump in verse one. A shoot shall come from what? From the great fertile soil of you know, Mesopotamia? No, from the stump of Jesse. I think one of the most pathetic images in the world is where there used to be a great rainforest in the Amazon, and now it's just stumps. 
Because you know, the painful thing is, not only is there not life there, which is what you see when you look at the desert, and it's still beautiful, because you expect it, but you're expecting to see life. You know it should be thriving, and it's dead. What is the stump that Isaiah is referring to? He says, the stump of Jesse. He's referring to the dynasty of the great King David, who was the son of the humble man, Jesse. I gave you Bible in three minutes last week. I'll try to do it a little quicker today. But to bring you up to speed, we have Abraham, who has Isaac, who has Jacob. These become the patriarchs of the faith. Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is Joseph. Joseph goes to Egypt, rises through the ranks, but then a new pharaoh comes, remembers them not, and they become slaves. The Israelites become enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Finally, God comes to Moses, says, go to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go, and they're off into the wilderness for 40 years, wandering, thirsty, hungry, questioning, where are we going? And they get to the promised land. And now you think that great promise of old, I will be your God, you will be my people through you, all the nations will be blessed. You think from here, if you could plot it on a graph, would just be upward and to the right until eternity. And it's not. They lose themselves. They forget who they are. They crush the poor. They oppress their neighbors. They put their treasure in all sorts of things that erode, and they're empty for it. Isn't it wild how history is so cyclical? And it's in the midst of all that longing of corrupt kings who they know what kings do. Kings take power and amass it for themselves. Well, then King David comes along, the humble one, the, the humble son of Jesse, who had his own issues, to be sure, and they're documented well in Scripture. But he would be the king of the flourishing of Israel, the high point of Israel. To speak of Jesse is to speak of King David. And this promise that was given to David in Scripture in 2 Samuel 9, where God says, your kingdom will be established forever. So Isaiah comes on the scene in about 739 B.C. And at that point, Israel was flourishing. Economic trade, military power, all sorts of vast natural resources, in fact, part of their issue was they'd gotten so caught up in themselves. One of, his first, one of Isaiah's first prophecy, and prophecy wasn't necessarily always divining the future. Prophecy was often a person of God speaking with the authority of God to the people of God about how they can live more into the image and likeness of God. Get that? And part of that, he would say, you're going off the, ra- you're going off the road here a little bit or a lot. You're focusing, you're focusing so much on your external appearance that you're letting the inside wither away. And he's calling them back because they have this external flourishing and this internal erosion. Never had a people had so much and been so empty. Flourishing. That's how it started. But by now, by, by, by Isaiah 11, the part we're in now, that dynasty is coming to complete collapse because the kingdom of Assyria is getting strengthened. They are getting military might, and they're about to be unstoppable. And so oppression is at the door. You really can't enjoy a mansion if you know you're getting kicked out the next day, and they know they're about to get kicked out. Assyria is being strengthened. Israel is going to be crushed, and Isaiah calls it what it is, a stump. The people say, you're darn right it's a stump. It sure is. Our hope is chopped down. 
So here's one thing I hope we see today, is that when you get in touch with Christian spirituality, it doesn't gloss over the difficulties of life. It does not give you a Hallmark-style platitude. Don't worry, just pray more, just trust. God's got it, let go. I mean, some of those things might actually be rooted in truth, but it's usually a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. First, you have to treat the deep wound. And Isaiah comes to you, Scripture comes to you, Christianity comes to you and says, let's call it what it is. It's supposed to be life, but it's not. But in the midst of that, there's a God who is at the center of it and sees your pain. A God who identifies with it deeply. In Jesus, you have the only image of a God who actually has flesh and knows what it's like to be cold or lonely or afraid. A God who knows what it's like to be you and never shies away. For so many of us, that stump reality dominates our existence. Socially, as we mentioned, with war, poverty, injustice, racial violence, political tension but also internally, that stump-like reality where it's not just out there, but it's in here. Disappointment or frustration. And for so many of us, the holidays actually heighten that because they put more pressure on it. They put a magnifying glass in front of it. And you see other people around you having so much fun and your Instagram feed is joy to joy to joy to joy. And you're saying, well, then why do I feel so empty? You're mourning the loss of a loved one. Or you're sitting at a table with someone who you wish you were so close to. And you're realizing you're not. And you can't see the bridge to get back to that relationship. In a time where you're seeing people buy more and more things and you go to your bank account and you're wondering how you're going to pay for your groceries. And so it heightens. That stump reality. Or on the other side, we place our faith and hope and dreams in so many different things. The classics are more sex in any form, more power, influence, or more money. And we chase after all those things with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, and we end up less full, more anxious. The stump life dominates. Or... We actually attain success. You attain, name the amount of money you wished you had at this age and you actually have it. Name the home that you wish that you would live in at this age and you actually, we get the thing we always wanted and then we realize we're still stuck with ourselves. I minister to so many people who work 50 weeks a year and make tons of money so they can spend two weeks at a private resort and then they get to the resort and the beautiful beach with the great drinks and the sunset and they realize they're still stuck with their own habits, their own thoughts. You just changed the location. You know how I know that? Because I'm the same way. And so are you. So scripture begins with a stump. It says, let's just talk about it. Let's normalize it. It's okay to be honest about it. And for many of us, this is what life feels like this time of year, which is what makes us more cynical because the Christmas spirit feels so contrived. 
putting tinsel on a stump. Isaiah and scripture and, and, and Christianity acknowledge the reality of this stump. But it also presses us to the next image, to see the image of a shoot. A little green sapling coming out of what appeared to be a dead stump. New life springing forth in the place you would least expect it. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. There's hope coming. The original audience, as much as today, would say, I don't know if I could believe that, but I sure hope that's true. I hope there's a more substantial hope in this world that can bring us through the confusion and difficulty of our times. The interesting thing about human nature is that even when existence feels cut down, disappointing, or painful, at the core, it's very difficult to extinguish hope. I've gotten to minister to some people in the most desolate situations in the world. I've ministered to people who were fleeing civil war. I've ministered to the refugees that were coming up from Honduras. And the thing that always struck me is oftentimes, yes, there's tears, there are physical scars, there are family members that should be there that aren't because they've been tortured and killed. That's a reality. The thing that struck me in each of those situations was oftentimes at some point in the relationship, the person I was ministering to was more joyful than I am. How do you maintain a buoyant joy or hope in the midst of devastation and difficulty? This is one of the reasons I invite you to know your neighbor every first Saturday of the month. Yes, it's an amazing ministry amongst our neighbors, and it does a ton of good in the neighborhood. So that's why I invite you. But I really invite you, here's the secret, I invite you for your own good. Because it wakes you up. It wakes me up. You meet a guy like the gentleman who takes two minutes to get 40 feet because he recently had his toes amputated. And when you ask him, how are you doing today? He goes, it's a great day to be alive. You meet people who come in here hungry and alone and they leave full and with friends. Hope in the midst of sorrow. Hope's a really hard thing to extinguish completely. So here's the real question. Why in the midst of a reality that's dominated by the stump is there any reason to hope at all? Why does that seem to be built into the human DNA regardless of language or culture or class? And I would suggest it's because it's the way that you were designed by God. You have a spark of life. You have a spark of hope in you that is really difficult to extinguish, which makes it so devastating when it finally is. This green shoot, these new possibilities. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying, our dream of a shoot, this green sapling, to not be dominated by a stump picture is rooted in a reality that runs very, very deep in every person in this room, regardless of what you believe, regardless of your religious background, no matter where you are in your process of belief. It's in our nature to long for, to look for, to hope for, some view of life, some seed, some sapling, even in the midst of the stump. The problem is, 
we're often misguided in the way that we go about that hope. We think, if I could just get that person, then all of the restlessness in my life will subside. You think, if you could just get Romeo, then you must be Juliet. You think, if you could just make enough money, then all of these difficulties will go away, and then you realize you just have more expensive problems. You sophisticate your brokenness. And we're left exhausted, anxious, and wanting. So this shoot that Isaiah envisions is who the, in the Hebrew scriptures would be the Messiah, in the, in the New Testament would be the Christ, the, the one who would be anointed to come and bring new life to the world. And I know even as I say that, we'll unpack that in a minute, some of you are saying, listen, Matt, I have had a hundred messiahs. Maybe you don't use those words. I've had a hundred false starts at the new program of hope, and I am done with it. If all that this is promising is some sort of band-aid on the hemorrhage of my life, some sort of a new reframing of a situation that's really difficult or impossible, or just some sort of a platitude, some nice words to put on top of a stump-like reality, no thank you. I've been there before. And friends, I hear you and I'm with you. But that's not what Isaiah is envisioning. Because he presses us to see and consider a third image. The image of the root. So on one hand, Isaiah the prophet is talking to a people who are being oppressed. Financially pushed down, politically pushed down, militarily crushed. Yes, and he's talking about one day there will be freedom again. Hooray. Huge. But that's not the majority of the content of the book of Isaiah. He says that's just a picture. Because you can be free on earth and still be a slave to yourself. He says, ultimately, what I'm envisioning is new creation altogether. The forgiveness of your brokenness. Unity with the God who created you so that you know who you are. You can stand tall, look the world in the eyes, and be comfortable in your own skin. A life that's not devoid of difficulty, but when difficulty comes, you are anchored, and so you don't get blown away by the waves. Flourishing society a meaning that is grounded and not beholden to the five-minute news cycle or what other people say about you. New significance altogether. See, this is not just another way to repair yourself temporarily. This is not just another self-help realization, way to have comfort and affluence. The verses that we didn't read that are in your worship folder, let me read to you this vision. Verse 6 and then 8 through 9. Verse 6. And these are some of the words that we use at the beginning of every service going forward in Advent. Here's a vision of that future. The wolf shall live with the lamb. Wolves don't live with lambs, or at least the lamb doesn't live very long. Two beings that are at enmity with each other will be in unity. It goes on. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. This, you don't have to be a zoologist to realize that this doesn't happen in nature. 
Things that don't come together are coming together. Beings that eat each other are dining together and feasting together. And then here's the clue. And a little child shall lead them. That's Advent. A world that is at odds. A life that feels like it's coming undone as, as you try to hold it together or at least look like you are. And Isaiah says, it's okay to admit that it's a stump-like reality. Tap in to that hope for the shoot that you desire, that you're looking for, that you're built for, and know that it is coming. But it's not coming through something you manufacture. It's coming through God himself breaking in and doing something for you you could never do for yourself, rescuing you. It goes on in verse 8, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, which is a, a venomous viper, and the weaned child shall put its hand into the adder's den, another venomous snake. Look, in the Bible, anytime a snake shows up, it's pretty much bad news. When Adam and Eve rebel and are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, the first thing that happens is God turns to the serpent in, in Genesis 3.15 and says, you will strike at their heel and they will strike at your head and there will always be enmity between you. And Isaiah is saying, actually, never say never. Because in God's new creation, even snakes aren't all that bad. The thing that seeks to attack you in the night while you walk down the path and kill you, you could play on top of its house and it won't touch you. There's a new vision. Just hold on to this imagery, this vision that he's giving of a new creation, nourishing hope. This isn't just wishful thinking. No, no wishful thinking, no earthly king, no self-help program can bring about the kind of renewal that Isaiah is envisioning. And how does this happen? The clue is in verse 1 and 10. Verse 1, a shoot shall come out of the stump and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, and the nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. What's this saying? Envision the stump. See the shoot. Understand the root, okay? This is how this is working together. The shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse is connected to the root of Jesse. That hope is not merely a pie-in-the-sky, blind faith, just believe sort of faith. It's a faith that is literally, according to Isaiah, rooted in the foundation of reality. Not merely the offspring of Jesse like King David, but the one that he pointed to. The true king. The very author of your life. God himself crashes through the cold, pitiless walls of our existence and walks with us. You see, there is no substantial reason to hope if this is merely another feel-good strategy. That would be an empty shoot. But if it is possible that the God who made us, that gave us the longing for hope, has actually broken forth into this world and walks, walks with us. Not just before you or behind you or above you or below you, but within you. Then there's a new reason to hope altogether. 
His knowledge covers the earth as waters cover the sea. Friends, that's the only real reason for Advent hope at any time. Otherwise, if Christmas is only warm, sentimental feelings marked by parties and mistletoe, and then it ends, that will push you further into cynicism and despair. But if it is true that the shoot of hope is the very root of creation, God himself coming toward us to rescue us, then there's hope. That's the message of Advent. That's what we invite you not just to hear now and receive now, but to traffic in, to travel in these next four weeks. Every day we'll have an Advent reflection that goes out through Instagram. All you need to do is follow the Instagram feed of this church, Renew San Diego. And you will see this new scripture that comes up each day, a reflection on it, and then a way to participate in this hope. We'll do it together. But all this takes us back to the foundational question. Who do we really celebrate on Christmas morning? Or another way to put it is, who is Jesus? If, if you are expecting to audition Jesus as one of many administrative assistants in your life, that when you run into trouble, you can buzz into your office and get some advice or get some help, you will never understand him. If you are looking to audition Jesus as your co-pilot, where every now and then in times of difficulty, you say, Jesus, take the wheel, but the rest of the time, I'm controlling the whole thing, you will never get it. Neither will I. Friends who are considering Christianity, if your starting place is, before I say yes to following Jesus, I need to know what he says about this topic or that issue or what it's going to mean for my love life or what it's going to mean for my finances, you will never encounter the root of all creation. You will always encounter a God in your own image and likeness that likes the same things you like and hates the same things you hate, that likes the same people you like and dislikes the same people you don't. That God might every now and then make you feel a little better, that God will never give you hope in the midst of difficulty. Never comfort you in the midst of sorrow. Never give you buoyancy in a world that feels like waves getting tossed back and forth. You want to go to the root. Which is why, especially during this season, I invite you, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, to consider who is Jesus. What if he actually is the root of all creation coming into this world so there's a life that you can build substantially upon him. If he is the root of Jesse, you have every reason to hope. May God give us grace this season to see it, to look for it, to receive it. And then to be little branches that go out into this world, wherever we go, to bring hope where there's sorrow. To bring light where there's shadows. To bring unity where there's discord. To bring joy. To bring comfort. This is the invitation of Advent. Let's walk together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now. As we begin the season of Advent, going and traveling down these ancient pathways that men and women and children of every time and place have gone before us, finding new life in the midst of a stump-like existence. Help us to be honest with ourselves 
in this season. To admit the stump-like reality, the places of our life where they feel devoid of hope. As we hold that, help us also to see that shoot that comes, that green sapling of hope that arises and that that's actually connected to a deeper reality. It's connected to you. So Jesus, we remember you coming into this world and we anticipate you coming again to make all things new. In the meantime, help us right here, right now, to center ourselves in you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Friends, as we continue here, we're going to continue with the time of offering, which on one hand is an act of worship because it's a way for us to say, all that I have is a gift from God, so I give back to God freely from everything God's given me. We give generously and joyfully and sacrificially, never out of manipulation or guilt. It's also an act of mission because everything we give goes to fund this church's mission to renew our neighborhood our city, and our world. One of the things this church is doing this week is partnering with Jay and Sarah Seelan, who are members of this church and are part of an amazing ministry in Jay's hometown of Chennai, India. As the kids are ramping to get back up to school in January in India, they're putting together backpacks and supplies. And so one of the ministries of this church is to help support that ministry there. When you give to this church, you're giving to local renewal. You're giving to global renewal and transformation. This is a way that we pour ourselves out on behalf of the world. So as we enter this time of offering, let's commit our offering to God. We'll use the prayer you'll find on page eight as we pray. God of extravagant mercy, with hands outstretched, you have poured out wonder and pleasure and delight, goodness and beauty and bounty. So take these offerings, we pray, as our protest against all that is evil, ugly, and impoverished, trivial, wretched, and tyrannical in San Diego, our world, and in ourselves, that all may know the healing of your new kingdom, we pray. Amen. If you'd like to join in the offering, you can do so using the plate that is on the table at the back, or just join in through the church's website, giving digitally there, which is all encrypted and secure and all that good stuff. It's just renewsandiego.org, and then you click on the give button. I've seen what you can do 
Enter this time of confession. Listen to these words from Psalm 130. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. That word redemption is an ancient word to describe what it takes to buy someone from slavery into freedom. Time of confession is a time not where Christians bring up the things that you feel really bad about and you make yourself feel worse. Time of confession for Christians is a time of honesty with ourselves and with God, where we say, here are the ways that I have been pursuing pathways of freedom, but they've actually been leaving me toward being more trapped. And what is God doing when we are confessing our brokenness? Redeeming us redeeming us, calling us back to himself. That's the great exchange. We offer God our sins and God offers us forgiveness. So Christians confess our sins with great humility and great confidence at the same time. Let's do that using the prayer on page 10 as we pray together. Oh promised Christ, we are a world at war. Our peace depends on your coming. We are a sinful people. Our pardon depends on your coming. We are full of good intentions, but weak at keeping promises. Our only hope of doing God's will is that you should come and help us do it. Lord Christ, word made flesh, our world waits for your peace, for your pardon, and for your grace. Even so, come Lord Jesus, amen. Let's take a few moments of silent confession to make this prayer your own. us your peace. Amen. Friends, listen to and receive these words of encouragement. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the good news. Thanks be to God. As we receive the peace that God freely gives us, we share that peace with one another. And so in a moment, I'll invite you to share a sign of God's peace with others who are here through fist bumps or peace signs. 
smiles. We can, see your, we can see your smiling eyes even underneath your mask. For those who are joining in online, peace be with you, and we'll invite you to share a sign of God's peace with those who are near you in the room or wherever you're joining in. And then use your text message feature on your phone or the comment section on Facebook or YouTube to wish a sign of God's peace to others. Friends, the peace of Christ be with you all. Also with you. Thank you. Let's share with one another a sign of God's peace. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above heavenly beautiful. Thank you for that. As a pastor, I always try to encourage people to sit toward the front of the sanctuary, but as your friend, I'll tell you, if you can, sit next to Matt Jennings when he sings that part of the doxology. Matt, you showed up late. I'm calling you out right now. You're going to have to watch the replay because I said a lot of nice things about you at the beginning. Oh, okay. Well, what, that's amazing. That's amazing. Do you hear this? Start church before you get to church. That's amazing. We are not going to develop an app for Renew where you can order communion ahead of time or anything like that. This is not Starbucks, my friend. Speaking of communion, how's that transition? Okay. Friends, we do come to this table now, which is a table of joy. This table has been celebrated in the midst of mansions and dungeons, in wartime and in peace, in Churches that have been opulent and wealthy and churches that have been impoverished. In caves, in deserts, around the world. This is the table that reminds us of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The table in which he promises us we not only eat with one another, commune with one another, but he promises to feed us and nourish us. Give us all that we need to follow him together. This table prefigures another table we find in the closing pages of scripture, marked by hope. The description of people from every ethnicity and culture streaming together around the throne of Christ. A picture of a great banquet in which we raise a glass to the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, who's made all things new. Every tear will be wiped from every eye. Every injustice will be done away with. And death itself will be no more. So even now we eat and drink with great hope for that coming day. 
This is the family meal of all Christians. For those baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit connected to his body, the church. And at the same time, we recognize and celebrate there are many of you and many of your friends who have joined in the Renew community that have found this to be a safe and respectful, accessible place for you to ask your questions, to process the claims of Christianity, to think about what it would mean to become a Christian. And you need to know you are most welcome here. There is no pressure for anyone to come to this table at this time and do something that's not authentic with where you are in your faith journey. So if for any reason you're not prepared to come to this table, I invite you to make this a sacred time as you are. Think about what's been said this morning. Consider what it would mean to make this grand story your story. Consider what it would mean to become a Christian. I would love to have that conversation with you, and I'm easy to get a hold of. There are also prayers printed for those not communing, found on the bottom of page 15. But for those who come forward, come saying, Jesus, fill me with your character, your calling. Fill me with hope. We continue now by professing our faith using the ancient words of the Apostles' Creed. I invite you to stand with me as you're able. Christian friends, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is is right to give give God thanks and praise. It is truly our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O God our Creator. You brought light out of darkness and set the sun to brighten the day. You've brought us out of the darkness of our sin and led us by the true light of your Son. Therefore, we praise you as we say together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are holy, O God of majesty. And we've seen your love for us in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. You sent him into this world to satisfy the longings of your people for a savior, to bring freedom to the captives of sin, to establish justice for the oppressed. He came among us as one of us, taking the lot of the poor, sharing our suffering. We rejoice that in his death and resurrection, you set before us the sure promise of new life, the certain hope of a heavenly home where we will sit at table with Christ, our host. And therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith as we say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We ask now that you pour out your spirit upon us. Make this bread and this cup to be for us the body and blood of Christ. Transform us into his likeness, that we might live for you as he lived, and love others as he loved. Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of your coming. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. 
Friends, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it. Gave it to his disciples and said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And after he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins and the sins of the whole world. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul teaches us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again. And so we say, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. A few words of invitation for communion. If you choose to come forward, I invite you to make a single file line right here. There's hand sanitizer in the lobby just outside if you'd like to use that. I ask you to keep your mask on if you have one on and just maintain as much distance as possible. After everybody who would like to be served has been served, go ahead and hold on to that as you return to your seats. And then once everyone's been served, we will partake together. And for those joining in online, this is a great time to gather the elements of bread or crackers and juice or wine so that once we come together, we can all partake together. The gifts of God for the people of God, come and receive them with gladness. You may come. body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Eat, remember, and believe. For those joining in online, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, drink, remember.
I invite you now to join me in our communion prayer as we finish the service here, concluding with the, the, the flow of it is that we have just been fed and nourished. And now we turn our attention to a hungry and thirsty world, first through our prayers, and then as we go through these doors with our actions. So let's pray for this world using the prayer found on page 16. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Give us grace that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we continue to pray. We praise you and thank you, O Lord, that you fed us with your word and at your table. Grateful for your gifts and mindful of the communion of your saints, we offer to you our prayers for all people. God, who sent us the Christ, the coming King, in this Advent season, grant us the gift of reconciliation, reflection, rest, and gratitude. And focus us as we prepare to celebrate the gift of your Son. Empower us to be present to our families, friends, and communities in a holiday season often marked by busyness and unrest. God of the brokenhearted, as the holiday season approaches, we are mindful of those who are lonely, who find themselves away from friends and family, who are painfully reminded of the absence of loved ones. Prince of peace and great God of comfort, be especially with those now who are experiencing grief or a sense of loss. God of protection, we pray for the people of Ethiopia. As the civil war continues and lives are crushed without hope, we ask for continued protection, especially for those who are most vulnerable. We pray for your church to be able to worship boldly and serve those around them. We pray for peace and wisdom in the midst of instability and unrest. And closer to home, we pray for all our neighbors here. We pray for our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness, who just marked a day called Thanksgiving in the midst of shorter days and colder nights. We pray that you would help renew church to be part of the good news to all our neighbors, those with homes and those without. We pray for our society in the midst of racial violence and unrest, in the midst of political polarization. Lord, you are the God of truth and the God of unity. Those things are so hard to hold in tension for us. And so would you bring your truth? Would you bring your unity? And would you use this community as an image of what it looks like for people to gather around your life, death, and resurrection with hope? Loving God, we offer you these prayers this morning, depending on you alone for their fulfillment. We long for that day when all your children will live in peace and praise your name. Until that day, give us patience and enduring hope, rooted only in Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. And deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand and receive God's blessing. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.
In a moment, we'll be sent out to embody good news in this world. I also invite you to good coffee and good donuts right outside. And one way we can serve our friends at St. Luke's, who will be setting up for their service immediately after this, would just be to make sure that wherever you're sitting is clean as we go out together. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in God's peace. Thank you.